0: Thank you, everyone. It's really great to be speaking with everyone tonight and to be talking about public education. Six weeks ago, schools started to close across this country. And as Shaniqua said, they closed too late. Our unions, our educators, those are the people who made the school closures happen in the first place because we understood what was needed to address the pandemic at a time when the government was doing nothing to address the pandemic. We were worried for our students, our families, ourselves. We were worried about the public health. And so education workers, and when I say education workers, I mean teachers, paraprofessionals, substitutes, cafeteria workers, everyone, janitors, everyone in those buildings that has led the way in pushing flat-footed districts, overburdened by administrative costs, and really the consequences of what, what we've been talking about tonight of decades of so-called reform that has attacked public education and attacked our unions. The consequences of that is that they couldn't move quick enough to do what was needed, but we did. Educators and families, we came together like we have for many years now to make sure that what was needed to be done was done. And the school building, the buildings that we had to close, have been so much more than buildings. Within those buildings, students have received food, education, mental health services, access to nurses, and critical relationships. And they were never perfect. Inside those buildings, we faced deep inequities that reflected the inequality and oppression that working people and people of color face in the United States. But teachers like ourselves, like the teachers in Red and Ed and the Party for Socialism and Liberation, socialists have always fought to challenge those inequities within the building itself. But now, in this pandemic, we don't have that building. It was closed because it needed to be. And regardless of those closures, we fought. We fought to make sure food was distributed to our students and our families. We advocated for the distribution of computers, hotspots, work packets. We faced that deep inequality of the digital divide that has, is now more obvious to everyone than ever before. We figured out how to run classes online. We walked student after student through the minutiae and the challenges, and it's, it hasn't been easy for anyone. It's not easy to get online and try to learn that way from home environments of all different types, both for the educators and the students. Our unions negotiated agreements in districts across the country that established reasonable distance learning expectations, reasonable grading policies, made sure substitutes and paraprofessionals and bus drivers got paid, because districts were trying not to pay some of those workers. Where we still have our social workers and our counselors and our nurses where they have not been cut, those workers work double time to reach out to families to get them what they needed. We even started GoFundMes for our school communities. To say the least, it has been difficult and stressful and incredibly challenging for all education workers. This crisis has shaken the foundations of our work. And now, Six weeks in, we're being told there is no money for our schools, that our schools and our jobs are on the chopping block. Just last week, 62, 62 superintendents from large public districts like New York, Miami, Los Angeles, these are the administrators, not even the teachers and the paraprofessionals and the cafeteria workers in the communities, but those at the very top, they wrote to Congress they said they predict 20 to 25% cuts to school revenues. And that, and that means hundreds of thousands of teachers being laid off because that's always how they solve these issues. They lay off the teachers. They increase the class sizes. They do the exact opposite of what we know is necessary for learning and for public education. But according to them, not just for the pandemic relief, but for the next year, The public schools are going to need over $200 billion. Now, as Nino said, the government in the end of March passed the biggest piece of legislation for relief, and it provided $13 billion for schools, while it funneled billions into the hands of large corporations and banks. And those, the owners of those large corporations, of those banks, have made huge profits. Jeff Bezos himself was already insanely wealthy, and now Is twenty-four billion dollars richer because of the exploitation during this pandemic, while Amazon and Whole Food workers face situations without healthcare, without proper protective equipment, and insane working conditions. Netflix founder and chief executive Reed Hastings, who has been one of the strongest proponents of the anti-union charter school privatization reform, he himself, not the company, but he himself personally, is now hundred and $95 million richer. His personal wealth is over $5 billion. It's absolutely unconscionable that we are in a situation in which the government has taken public money and handed over to the biggest banks and corporations while they're making record profits and the rest of us are are suffering. And then day after day for the last week, We've seen news of budget cuts to public education and the public sector, but particularly public education. And we're just supposed to accept the idea that there is no money. It's such a fantastic lie. The federal government has enormous resources. And in the midst of this pandemic, they have the power and they would have popular support to move resources to where they're needed. The budget's attacks on public education have to be seen for what they are. They're an extension of a war that was already being waged on public education and on teachers' unions. That pandemic initiated a crisis, but that crisis was due to the utter mismanagement of the U.S. government at the hands of the U.S. ruling class, and it has has transformed our reality. Right now, in the last few months of school, a school year that has been unlike any other, heading into summer and not knowing what's what's to come, states are starting to talk about reopening about making people go back to work before they've even instituted mass testing or really mobilize the public health system, which is what is necessary. There's no clear path to reopen schools. Reopening schools will require not decreased personnel, but increased personnel. We need to reduce the number of students in the classroom to maintain physical distancing. There may need to be staggered schedules. There will need to be more paraprofessionals, more teachers, more janitors to clean, more cafeteria workers to safely give out the food that our families depend on. Social workers, counselors, and nurses will all be needed in this to even just address the trauma that our kids have gone through. We'll need hot water. I've been in public schools for 13 years and I've never worked in a school with hot water. It's it's a basic necessity. So when the needs of the crisis require increased educational funding, and it really, beyond the educational funding, an expansion of social services. When 30 million people have claimed unemployment, you need an expansion of social services. At this moment, the government is announcing huge cuts. They're literally handing over billions to the richest. When they continue to fund the war drive, corporate owners are teaming up with the politicians who are announcing the budget cuts. And with all the attacks on public education, we already know what the answer is. We saw it in the strike wave that a number of my comrades tonight have talked about. From 2018 to 2019, we shone a bright light on unmaintained buildings, outdated textbooks, cut to services, overworked teachers. That strike wave that started really in Chicago five years ago and spread to West Virginia, where it was reinitiated, and Kentucky and Oklahoma and Arizona, then Oakland, Los Angeles, and Chicago again. That stopped the anti-union privatization efforts in their tracks. And those strikes and those worker actions made gains, reversed decades of privatization efforts, increased budgets, made real gains for teachers and students. That transformed the labor movement. It was the year of the strike because teachers, a woman-led labor movement stepped up and we made community and teacher organization relationships like we'd never built before. And we are mobilized and we should continue to be mobilized because at this moment, there is no choice for us in public education, but to struggle. As I said, we should see these budget cuts as an attack on our unions, on ourselves, as workers, and on public education as a whole. It is a critical right for our class to be educated. Education is widely recognized as a basic human right, as Nino said. We cannot let them set us up. We cannot let them say there is no money at every single local and district as they take advantage of this pandemic. And because of them taking advantage of this pandemic, The class struggle is going to intensify, sharpen as they intensify their war on working people. And our answer has to be to struggle, to come together, to come together nationwide and with our unions, the community connections that we've made, that we've talked about even tonight. And we have to reject the setup. They cannot make us fight local by local saying there is no money when we know there's money when they always find the money for the banks and corporations, but they don't find it for people's needs. We know that we, over the last few years, have been at the core with our students, their families, and all education workers, at the core of engaging in a struggle that defended public education, that reversed privatization. And now at this moment, when we're in a moment of a lot of anxiety for many of us, when we're teaching from home in these strange environment, when we're being told, as the New York teachers have, you have to do this, you can't grieve, you have to do all the things they're asking us to do, and then we're going to put your job on the chopping block, we have to answer that by saying no. We're going to struggle for public education. We know our role in society. We know our families trust us. We know people stand for public education. And we're going to use every opportunity right now to build a fight back for public education and understand that it's so necessary to do so. Because when we come together as workers, as families, as students, when we come together, we can win. Thank you. Of course, it's difficult to know exactly what will unfold in the next few months. Uh, But what would you think are the priorities in building the fight for public education in the coming period amidst deepening class struggle? I think that's a really critical question, because we know that we are entering an era of really deep class struggle. We understand that the ruling class is taking advantage of this pandemic to really attack the working class in general. I mean, the conditions that workers are being forced to work under in the midst of this pandemic are really just atrocious. And we're seeing the consequences of that. That as they say that, hundreds of millions of workers are essential, they don't give them hazard pay or proper protection. And we're going to face that in public education. And I think we've seen that in public education, the foundation for the struggle we have to wage now has already been built over the last few years. Really what happened in the strike movement, starting all the way in Chicago, is that rank and file teachers, teachers who are fed up,